Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Revelation chapter 6, let's read a few verses. Revelation chapter 6, reading from verse 1, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals and then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, come, I looked. And then before me was a white horse, its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil or the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the living creature say come and I looked and there before me was a power horse its rider was named death and Hades was following close behind him and they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth and so father we come before you as we move into this scripture Lord God this passage of your word this part of the Bible Lord God I pray that you would speak to us today anoint my lips Lord God as I share this word Uh, Father, let there be a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The gifts of the Spirit be in operation, I pray in Jesus' name. Father, um, impact our lives with a phrase, a word, Father God, that I pray will change our destiny. This is our prayer and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to continue on a series I began some months ago on the book of Revelation. Uh, If you're new here or you're a guest here today, uh, we're examining one of the most intriguing, controversial, puzzling uh, books of the Bible, the book of Revelation. If you don't believe me, maybe you've never read the Bible, just go over to the last book of the Bible, have a read through that and you will be intrigued, I can assure you. Uh, One of the reasons why we are studying this book is because its message is powerful. Key verse of the series is blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Uh, that refers to me. And blessed are those who hear it, that's you, and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now what John is saying is that if we read this book, hear the words written in this particular book of the Bible, take to heart what is written in it, we will be blessed. And it will change the way that we live our lives Not for the worse, for the better. It's an incredible book. What John is saying is that there's a message in this book. There's there's a thought in this book that if we read it, get a hold of it, it's going to change the way we live our lives. Not for the worse, but actually for the better. I don't know about you, but I want to read it and find out what that message actually is. Bible is, among other things, a prophetic book. One of the, well, people, people say, well, how do you know that the Bible is real? Why should I trust the Bible is what some people say. Some people view the Bible as just another book among many books. And people say, well, what makes this book different? Why should I trust the Word of God, the Bible? Well, here's one of the reasons why. 
In the Old Testament, you'll find over 300 prophecies relating to the coming of Christ. In other words, the Old Testament was written for a, over a long period of time, a whole bunch of authors, and they, and they writ from time to time about one, the one day Christ would come, Jesus would come. Talked about His birth, where He would be born, how He would live and how He would die. Go over to the New Testament and you will find every single one of those prophecies fulfilled. That's what gives this book credibility and why we should listen to it and study it. Not only did the Bible speak about Jesus coming, it speaks about how the world will end one day. In fact, over 150 chapters in the Bible are dedicated to this theme of Christ coming back one day. Chief among them is the book of Revelation. Now, the danger when we start to speak on the subject of the world coming to an end, Armageddon, uh, the apocalypse, is we can start to sound like the doomsday preppers. Anybody watch the show on TV, the doomsday preppers? I love that show. I laugh when I look at it. We love, we love it because, you know, people, people in that show are weird. Now, they always pick the weird ones. All right. And they've got these crazy views about life and the whole world coming to an end and, and so on. Now, just in case you think this is only an American thing, then think again. It's becoming more and more popular in Australia. And would you believe that there is a doomsday prepper shop right here in Adelaide Semaphore? <laughs> if you need the address, I know where it is. So just... Shopped there quite a few times. Um, the, the, da the danger is we hear about the doomsday preppers and we laugh like it's never going to happen. But listen to what Peter says, and I'm reading from the message translation. First off, you need to know that in the last days, mockers are going to have a heyday, reducing everything to the level of their puny feelings. In the last days, as we get closer to the coming of Christ... People are going to mock the reality of that day coming. They'll mock, they'll say, so what's happened to the promise of His coming? Our ancestors are dead and buried and everything's going on. Just as it has from the first day of creation, nothing's changed. Peter says, don't be fooled. God is poised, ready to speak His word again, ready to give the signal for the judgment and destruction of the desecrating skeptics. What gives this credibility is the fact that we've already had over 300 prophecies come to pass. How much more would these prophecies come to pass as well? Jesus said, keep watch, see what's going on around you and be prepared for the day of that coming. So it kind of brings us to ask two questions. As we look at chapter six and seven of Revelation, how do we know when the end is gonna come? I mean, do we have any kind of idea when the end is gonna come? And most importantly, how can we prepare? Now, the first five chapters of Revelation are powerful and filled with so many easy to understand practical lessons that we can so easily apply to our lives. We've been looking at the seven letters to the churches and on, on Wednesday nights, just powerful teaching. It's from chapter six onwards that we get into the part of Revelation, which is somewhat controversial. In particular, there is some, uh, there is among theologians controversy about what the seals represent next week, the trumpets and subsequent chapters, what they actually represent and how they're to be interpreted. So there are generally four ways that people have looked at the book of Revelation. Let me give you these briefly. This is uh, a bit of theology for you on a Sunday morning. I know, I know it's not what you came for, but 
It's, it's going to be good, all right? A, l- a little bit of Bible college is going to be good. So there are at least four views. The first is called the Praetorist view. Everybody say Praetorist. It's, it's a bit of Latin, which comes from the word past, which means that what Revelation deals with is actually events that were fulfilled back in John's writing. The book of Revelation was written some 2,000 years ago. And the, this particular view holds that all the signs or the trumpets or the seals, they were already fulfilled way back when, when John wrote this particular uh, uh, letter. It has no bearing on us today or the future. The second view is called the historist view or the historist view. This view holds that the prophecies in Revelation are kind of being um, coming to pass over uh, a longer time period from the first century after Christ to the book of Revelation. So what they believe is that some of the prophecies have been fulfilled in certain events that have happened throughout history and some are yet to be fulfilled as the time of Christ's return gets closer. Third view is the idealist view. This view holds that the principles taught in Revelation don't belong to any time period at all, that they are basically applied to every single generation. The principles speak to all of us. Then there's the futurist view. And this view holds that the prophecy in Revelation will be fulfilled some way into the future. So the text that we read, the unveiling of the seals actually has no bearing on us whatsoever. It really refers to a time period where it will be fulfilled somewhere into the future. Um, To help us understand this, kind of, uh, let me show you a timeline of end times events that some people believe. Now here it is on, on the screen. So Theologians that have studied the Scriptures kind of have uh, some idea of how the end time events are going to unfold. I think it's interesting. It's pure speculation. It's not necessarily exactly how it's going to happen, but it's, uh, it's certainly a viewpoint. Um, the beginning, you've got the present age. They believe then the church is going to be raptured at some point. Following that is going to be the years of tribulation. Uh, then Christ is going to return. A thousand years of the reign of Christ final judgment, and then there's going to be uh, eternity. Now, there is a bit, bit of uh, a few different ideas about when Christ will return. Some people believe he's going to return before the tribulation. They're the pre-tribs. Then you've got some that believe he's going to return in the middle of the tribulation period. Uh, that's the mid-tribs. And then you've got the, uh, those that believe uh, in, uh, he's going to return at the end. That's called the post-tribs. Personally, I'm a pre-trib kind of guy. Um, uh, and if it doesn't happen at the beginning, then I'm going to be a mid-trib kind of guy. Uh, and if it doesn't happen in the mid-trib, I'm going to be a post-trib kind of guy. Um, now, you know, p- people say, well, how can you know what's really going to happen? All these different ideas, theologians that believe one thing or another. I, I-, I have a perspective when it comes to Scripture. If the Bible is clear, then I'm clear. If the, if the Bible is black and white on a subject, I'm black and white on a subject. But where the Bible speculates, then we speculate. There are some things that are really clear in the Bible when it comes to end times. What what is really clear is that Jesus is coming back. Can I hear an amen? Uh, That is really, really clear. uh, And we will know when Jesus comes back, there is going to be a judgment of some description. There is going to be a heaven and hell. The rest of it is up for grabs. So if you're a pre-trib here, God bless you. If you're a mid-trib, even more blessing upon you. If you're a post-trib, well, we're not sure you should belong here. Okay, so, so that's, that's just the, the way it is because that, that's definitely not in the Bible. So um, 
Uh, here's what I believe, because, because people are saying, you know, how, how do we know what it is? Who's right and who's wrong? Uh, I, I believe that the prophecies outlined in Revelation, so with the four views I gave you, the, the praetorist and so on and so on, which one of those is right? I, I believe that the prophecies outlined in Revelation, they do speak to events that were unfolding in John's day. So in other words, the people that actually read the letter some 2,000 years ago, a church that, that received this letter or this particular scroll that read it, they understood exactly what John was saying. And when he talks about the seals, they actually understood what John was saying as, as this was being read to the church. I also believe that uh, the, the, the events or the, or, the, or the prophecies that are there uh, out in Revelation speak to events that one day shall unfold as we get closer to Christ's return. But I also believe that the message in Revelation speaks to us today. I still believe that this message speaks to us just as much as it spoke to them back then, to, 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 to a future group or to what will happen in the future. I believe it speaks to us today. And that's the part that I'm interested in. So with that as an introduction, let's look at the revealing of the, skill, the, the, the seals. Uh, I will, uh, a will in John's day was produced on a scroll. And what we have on this scroll that John sees is the revelation of God's will. In other words, in this scroll is a revelation of the will of God. And what they contain is the judgments of God. So what do the seven seals actually represent? So I'm going to show you a picture of the, of the seals or the, the scroll, what it kind of could have looked like. I'm not convinced it would look exactly like that, but it kind of gives you an understanding of the scroll and the seals and there's seven of them in particular there. So while there is some debate about what the seven seals represent, I believe they speak to us about three really important things. The first thing the seven seals represent is the signs or the markers of Christ's return. So the seals are not the end, uh, it's not the final judgment, but they do represent a warning that Christ is coming again. Paul says that the Thessalonians, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church. He's speaking about the day when Christ shall return. And he's saying, people are saying, hey, it's, it's never going to happen. There it is again. But, but, but Paul says, hey, it's going to be like labour pains on a pregnant woman. Now, I've never had a baby. Uh, but I have seen my, my wife give birth a couple of times. Uh, generally contractions I've noticed is what I've noticed, very perceptive. Uh, generally contractions get stronger, more painful, more frequent, the closer one gets to the birth. Understand? I, I believe if, if men had to have babies, then the world would be instinct, uh, uh, extinct by now. Uh, no man would ever put themselves through something like this. So generally, generally when it comes to contractions, they get stronger, more painful, more frequent, the closer one gets to the giving of the birth. So what Paul is saying here is that the return of Christ is going to be very similar to this, using a kind of a, a practical metaphor to describe what's going to happen as we get closer to the end, that the signs or the markers of Christ's return are going to get stronger, more powerful, uh, closer together as we get closer to Christ's return. So as we look at the seven seals, um, there's a very clear parallel uh, to Jesus' prophecy 
about the return of Christ. So Jesus himself, go to Matthew chapter 24, the disciples asked Jesus, we'll look at that in a moment, when is Christ going to return? And Jesus gave a whole bunch of signs that would happen before he came back. And you'll see the parallel between this passage of Scripture and Jesus' words. Now, the first four seals are represented by four horses, often referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So let's look at that a little more closer. First uh, seal or the first horseman represents false peace. Notice the first horse or the is a white horse. I looked, verse 2 in Revelation 6, I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now notice the rider has a bow and was given a crown and they're riding kind of like a victor. Now some people have kind of debated whether this is Christ or not. Um, I believe it's actually speaking about a counterfeit Christ. Um, some suggest even the Antichrist. Uh, this is someone who looks like Christ, sounds like Christ. Notice he has a bow but no arrows, has the appearance of victory, but is not Christ at all. He's a counterfeit. Again, go back to Jesus' words in Matthew 24. He says, uh, tell us uh, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. This is what Jesus said. This is the first sign that he gave. He said, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. One of the marks of end times is gonna be that we will see people rise up who will be Christ-like. They will look like Christ sound like Christ. They will be people of peace they will, and they will deceive many. They will have the, certain, the, the characteristics and the qualities of Christ. They will, they will kind of come on a, on, a, on a white horse. It looks like Christ, but they will deceive many. Look at our own nation, uh, Australia, um, and look at how it's embraced the New Age religions. And as we look at even our own nation in Western nations, New Age religions are becoming more and more popular. People would rather go on spiritual treats to hear a guru, you know, kind of dressed in a funny robe, <laughs> bold hair. I'm getting there. Uh, and uh, chant mantras, you know, and buy crystals. You know, hey, you buy this crystal and it's going to change your life. And, 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 and some people have all these crystals around, around their homes that are, that are going to ward off the spirits. And they would rather do all of that than hear about Jesus Christ. Uh, I was in some training this week uh, for, um, for psychology and uh, um, the, the woman presented, great presenter, she presented some good material. She begins her talk with, I'd like to begin with a quote from the Dalai Lama. And it's not unusual for that kind of a context. And I, and I thought to myself, what, what would it have been like if she'd got up and said, I'd like, to, I'd like to begin my talk with a quote from the Bible. I wonder if it would have been just as well received. I think it's fantastic in our nation that, that people are starting to open themselves up to the spiritual realm. But what I'm concerned about is that it's not just the whole spiritual realm, it's just one particular side of it. And, and people are willing to open up to the New Age movement, but don't ever talk to me about Jesus Christ. People are willing to accept all kinds of things related to the New Age movement, but I don't want to hear about Jesus. People say, well, this Jesus thing is just a pie in the sky. It's, this Jesus thing, it's all made up by man. Why? Because there's, there's actual evidence, scientific evidence to say that a crystal in your home is going to change your life. <laughs> there is more evidence just for the record about Jesus coming. Study history 
And you will see that all, all the evidence points to, all of the evidence, not hearsay, not fable, not one story passed on from one generation to another, not someone's opinion. It's evidence that says that Jesus came, lived amongst us, died on a cross, and three days later, he rose from the dead. I'm not saying that these gurus, these, these spiritual people, the Dalai Lama, others don't have something to say. I'm not saying that what they're saying is evil or bad. That's fine. But none of them, none, none of them have died and three days later uh, risen from the dead. And that's what distinguishes Christ from every other religion. Why, why should I listen to Jesus Christ? One of the reasons is because, because of the evidence in the Bible, the prophecies that have been fulfilled. The second evidence is because of the cross of Jesus Christ, that Jesus didn't stay uh, crucified. He didn't stay in a tomb. He rose from the dead. And because of that, we should listen to what he has to say. Here's what I believe. Spirit of the Antichrist is already here. And if you listen carefully, you will hear the hooves of this horseman in our workplace and in our societies. Second seal or horseman represents war and discord. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. The second horse represents wars and hatred and oppression. Jesus said another marker of end times would be wars and rumours of wars. Think about all the wars that have happened over the last, uh, five, uh, over the last years. Um, some of the research suggests that over uh, the last 5,000 years, 4,000 of, of those years, have been, wars have been conducted in some place in the world. Uh, in the last century, you've had World War I, the war that was to end all other wars. And then along came World War II. And there's a great deal of fear that if the world was to ever go back into another war, whether the world would actually survive that kind of a war. The war is not just between countries. The war is happening in high-rise apartments where people motivated by greed take advantage of innocent people. The war is happening in families and in marriages where people fight each other for control, which is really at the core of what all battles are. One of the marks of end times is going to be wars and discord and hatred and oppression. Third horseman represents famine. Bible says, when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living creatures say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. Third horseman speaks of famine and the disparity between the rich and the poor. Ordinarily for a day's wage, you could buy a lot of wheat and a lot of barley, but in the end times, food is going to be scarce. And you're going to have to work a whole day for just a little amount of wheat or of barley. But not only that, the difference between the rich and the poor will get greater. Back in Bible times, it was the rich that had the oil and the wine. And, and the Bible says the rich will still enjoy plenty of oil and wine. Uh, all over the world, we see um, the contrast between the rich and the poor, especially in third world countries. Some years ago, uh, we went to the Philippines. Um, uh, me and one of the other guys here went to the Philippines. And this is not unusual for most third world countries, is the contrast between the rich and the poor. There are those that live in extremely uh, wealthy settings while others are in complete poverty. We went to one shopping centre one time. It was like your typical Bunnings and Woolworths and Coles that we have here, a shopping centre uh, like, uh, like Westfield. And, and that's on one side of the road and you walk out and on the other side of the road is incredible poverty. 
And you kind of wonder, how can they live with these contrasts? The Bible says as we get towards the end, these contrasts are going to get greater and greater. Yet um, we take for granted the comfort we enjoy every single day, yet over two-thirds of the world's population live in poverty and scarcity. Bible tells us these are the signs of the ends of the age. Billy Graham says, we may not be able to see the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but we can sure hear their approaching hoof, hoofbeats. Fourth seal or horseman represents death. I looked and there before me was a power horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades, was following be, close behind him, and they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague. Think about how terrorism has changed uh, our nation over the last 20 years or so, how 911 has changed the world. Think about the senseless uh, killings that have happened in Paris, in Europe, in ISIS. And all of this speaks to us about the coming of Christ. It's not just, it's not just killings, it's, 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 it's it, there are atrocities that have been happening in these parts of the world. The fifth seal speaks about the persecution of followers of Jesus Christ. As the end draws near, not only will we see various things happen in the world, one of the marks will be persecution. The Bible says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the Word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. Jesus said in Matthew, Then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed, or you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. To the original hearers that were listening to this particular text or reading it, they remember the names of those who were martyred for their faith. People like Stephen, as you read in the book of Acts, and Antipas, who was, is recorded in uh, the letter that was written to Pergamum and many others as mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. They would have thought about the names of the people that had lost their lives because they stood up for Christ and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And we think that that was then and it's not happening today. We kind of think that this whole concept of Christians dying for their faith was, was something that happened in kind of the dark ages, thousands of years ago, uh, because people didn't understand, you know, uh, there was no tolerance or acceptance. If that's how we think, we couldn't be further from the truth. More Christians have been martyred in the last 100 years than in all the centuries combined. And I think, that, that, I th I think we kind of need to stop and just think about that. In the Western world, we've largely been protected and, you know, we come to church on a Sunday morning like, like this and, and we, we think that everybody in the world can actually do this. In fact, there are more parts in the world where they can't do this than there are parts in the world where they can. There are people meeting in, in, uh, in, in hidden places, in uh, underground, you know, uh, rooms and so on because if they get caught, they could be persecuted for, uh, for worshipping Christ. And in the Western world, we, we've, uh, we've been protected. But as we know, even in our own country, things are beginning to change. Uh, Tazid I shared a few weeks ago on the letter to the church in Sardis. It was really interesting. And there he spoke about the three stages of religious persecution or genocide, uh, how ethnic and religious cleansing started several times in history. He said, the first stage is, you cannot live among us believing what you believe. First stage is where Christian beliefs are silenced. In other words, well, we can't celebrate Christmas because some people will be offended. It's no mention of Christian values because it's not inclusive. Uh, no quoting scriptures on social media because that could be controversial in some ways. Second stage is you cannot live among us. And in this second stage, it's, it's the removal of people that don't have uh, our same beliefs and, or the same beliefs. And there'll be people that will say you can't work here or you can't be belong to this group because you have different kinds of beliefs. And in its extreme form or the third stage is you can't live. And we've seen this in history where, you know, back in uh, World War II was the killing of Jews. 
uh, or Christians in Armenia and Pakistan and India and Africa, one of the marks of end times is going to be the persecution of the church. The sixth seal represents uh, worldwide chaos. Um, you read about it in Revelation chapter 6, 12 and to 14, and it speaks about just general chaos in the world. Jesus said, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. What, what do the seals represent in Revelation? What, what do the seals rep- represent in Revelation chapter 6? What is it talking about in this text? Well, one of the things that it's talking about, it's a reminder that one, one of the times, soon Jesus is coming back Again, and as we, as we see these things happening around the world, it reminds us that Jesus will come back again. The second thing the seals represent is the judgments or the consequences that are released when people oppose God. There are two ways that we can do life. We can live according to the principles and teachings of Scripture, or we can ignore the Bible. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that statement doesn't leave a lot of room for discussion. It's either we agree or disagree with it. And the Bible promises that if we live according to the promises of His Word, then we will be blessed. Um, Look at what God said after He gave the Ten Commandments. Some people see the Ten Commandments as oppressive. Some people see the Ten Commandments as uh, as binding, designed to make us miserable, and yet nothing could be further from the truth. Listen to what God said. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. What the Bible is saying, what God is saying, hey, listen, these are principles that if you follow the principles in this word, they're gonna help you to experience something called life. That the kind of life you've always wanted to live, uh, the the, the principles on, on how you can experience the kind of life you've always wanted to live are actually outlined in these principles. Uh, When we ignore the principles of God's word, when we choose to oppose God, When a nation chooses to ignore God, consequences are released. Opposition to God sets off a chain reaction. Um, Do the seals speak about what will happen one day? No doubt they do, but they also speak about the times when we're living in today, that the further we get away from God, the more we turn away from God, the more we depart from the ancient boundaries that were set up by our forefathers, the louder the hooves of the horsemen become. And when a nation turns away from God, what we see is false Christ begin to rise, wars and fighting and destruction. What we see is a greater distinction between the rich and the poor. What we see is senseless. What we see is exactly what we've been reading about here in Revelation chapter 6. Instead, when a nation begins to live by the principles of God's word, something changes in the fabric of that nation. Peace is restored and they experience the blessing and the favour of God. Chapter 6 finishes with a question, for that great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? In other words, with all of this happening, well, who can actually stand it? Which brings us to the third purpose of the seals. Seals are an encouragement to turn to Christ. The message of the Bible is not a doom and gloom and negative and oppressive. God always gives hope. God always gives hope. God is a God of justice and God is the God of hope. Seals are an encouragement to turn to Christ. Chapter 6 is a picture of what's happening on the earth. Chapter 7 shifts and gives us a glimpse of what is happening in heaven at the same time. And, and chapter 7 says, Do not uh, harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Who can withstand this great day of judgment? What Revelation chapter 7 says is only those 
who were sealed. Well, what does that mean? Um, the only people that can stand are the people that have a mark or a seal on their forehead. Is that speaking of a literal mark? Uh, we, we, we talked about this some, some months ago. I don't believe so. I believe it's speaking about a way of thinking. It's those that are marked by the gospel. Believers of every age. It's people that love God with all their heart, mind and strength. Where, they love God, where their love for God affects the way they think and it affects the things that they do. It's their love for God is what seals them. Paul says this to the Ephesians. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now notice what it says. He's speaking to the church in Ephesus. This is what he says. He says, there was a point where you heard the message of the gospel, where someone explained what, what the message of the gospel actually was. You heard, you heard the message and then you believed. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. And the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were sealed. There was, there was something happened inside of heart where you knew, you knew that no matter what happens in eternity, my heart is secure. I know that I'm going to be with the Lord forever and ever. Verse 4 says, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, from all the tribes of Israel. And there's some debate as to what that represents, but in my view is it represents the people of God. And after this I looked, and there before me was uh, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out, in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Seals a reminder of other things to prepare to give our life to Jesus Christ. For the day of His return is near. I began with a couple of questions at the beginning. How do we know when the end will come? How do we know when the end will come? Seven seals remind us that Jesus is coming again. When we hear the sound of the horsemen, it ought to remind us that Jesus is coming again. When we hear of famines and wars and earthquakes, when we hear about persecution of Christians, it ought to remind us that Jesus is coming again. That these are not just things that are happening by chance all around the world. They are a reminder that Jesus is coming one more time. And it leads us to ask the more important question, where well, how can you prepare? How do, how do we prepare for that day? Well, the doomsday preppers have a few suggestions. What they would say, uh, you prepare by building a bunker. They're not cheap. You know, they're pretty expensive. I've looked into it. Um, they, uh, they suggest you plenty of food supplies, stock up on pasta and rice depending on which part of the world you come from. Uh, they suggest you buy some weapons and so on. This is what the Bible tells us. Best way to prepare is not so much what we do outside. Best way to prepare is by preparing our hearts. The Bible says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's, that's, and that's John 3.16. John 3.17 says, For God did not come to condemn the world. People have this concept of God. God is this uh, judgment kind of God, that He's ready to point His finger. He can't wait to send people into hell. And people have this perception of God. Bible is really clear that God is a, he's a loving God. He's a caring God. Listen to the spirit of this verse. For the wages of sin is death. For the consequences of turning away from God is, is death. And it's not speaking about physical, although that includes that as well. We will all die. The, the word death there is actually speaking about eternal separation from God. He, here's the thing about hell. Uh, people say, well, is God going to send people to hell? No, He's not going to send anyone to hell. God is going to give people whatever they want. Some people say, I don't want to know about God. Okay, He's going to send you to a place where He's not around. God is going to give you whatever you want. And it says, for the wages of choosing to turn away from God is separation from God. And whatever that represents. But it says, but the gift of God, it's a present. The gift of God is eternal life. How? Through good works, through coming to church, Life Christian Center. Kind of. It's, uh, it's not speaking about that. It's through Jesus Christ. No religion can save. No church can save. No human being can save. No guru can save. The only person that can save us is Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's this phrase right at the end of chapter 6, and it talks about the wrath of the Lamb. And when you think about a lamb, you think about, and the lamb, by the way, is speaking about Jesus. It's a type of Jesus. All throughout chapter 6 and chapter 5, it's a type of Jesus. When we think about Jesus, we like to think of Him like a lamb. Kind of fits our, you know, kind of thinking about what Jesus is. He's beautiful, like a lamb. He's so cute, godly, loving, beautiful, blue eyes, long hair. I just love Jesus. And God is like that. He's a loving God. There's one word that's going to describe what God is like. He's, he's a God of love. Uh, we were up at the Grampians last, uh, last week and we drove up to the Grampians. Haven't done a driving holiday for a long time, but we did that. And uh, along the way, there were these uh, paddocks filled with sheep and, and, and lamb. It was beautiful. Uh, one of the things I do as I'm driving and I see sheep, I usually beat my horn. The, the sheep just go scatter, you know. I start laughing. Cows, you can beep as much as you want. Those bulls, they won't move, mate. They just stay there. But there was a few times we've seen lambs. Lambs are beautiful, aren't they? Come on, lambs are just, they're the most beautiful. They're this gorgeous animal. You know, I don't understand how anyone can have lamb chops, all right? I don't understand. I saw some lambs out there. They only had three legs, obviously. Uh, they've removed one of the legs because people want to have lamb shanks, you know, uh, some of them had bandages around their, their heads because some people want to have lamb cheek, you know, so these poor lamb. I'm only joking. Um, but these, these animals are beautiful. It's kind of a picture of what Jesus is like. And it speaks about the Old Testament and there's quite a bit of imagery around that. But it talks about the wrath of the lamb. Because God is not only a loving God, He's also the God of justice and righteousness. Now, we like to hear about the justice of God because there's a guy 
that we know or a person that we know that they need to be dealt with by God. So we want to hear about the justice of God. We don't want him to be, you know, loving with everybody because that dude, he, he needs to be dealt with. Amen? But with us, he's got to deal with us loving, lovingly. God is the God of love. But he's also the God of righteousness and justice. He's the God of grace, mercy, love. He's also the God of truth. And one day he's going to make everything right by his grace and for his glory. And today the invitation is to all of us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Peter says this, he says, you know, uh, in the end times, people are going to say, well, where is this return? Where is this coming? And this is what Peter says. Listen, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Aren't you glad that God was patient with us? I'm so glad God was patient with me. I'm so glad that, you know, uh, God was patient with, with my dad, my mum. You know, my dad's a tough guy. He's, a, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. And um, not all of his family's come to Christ, but for some reason, that opened his heart up to God. And uh, here we are today worshipping and glorifying God. So glad that God was patient. God is patient with you and he's patient with me. Because he doesn't, his heart is, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He, he, he doesn't want anyone to go to this place which is far away from the presence of God. He doesn't want anyone to go there. Well, Pastor Joe, well, how can we be sure? How can we be sure we're going to be with Christ? How can we be sure about this eternal life? Well, I want you to know that God loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And he thinks the world of you. He created you. Like he created this baby, he created you with a purpose and a plan. And what stops us from having a relationship with God is just one thing, it's sin. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. No one here would say, well, I'm perfect. No one, none of us would say we're perfect. And it's that sin that is gonna keep us or separate us from the love of God. And in this righteousness, God would say that that sin needs to be dealt with. And the good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And He paid the penalty for our sins. He, 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 he paid for the speeding fine. Government is never going to say, oh, don't worry about the speeding fine, that's fine. Can you imagine if the government said, don't worry about the, the police department, said, don't worry about the speeding fine. Do you think cars would go slower or faster? Go faster. Speeding fine needs to be dealt with. Someone needs to pay. The sin needs to be dealt with. Someone needs to pay. God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. And He took upon that cross the penalty of our sin. He paid the price for all of our sin, each one of it. The little sins, the big sins. If we would just accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, if we would just believe in Jesus Christ, give our life to Him, something changes, the Bible tells us. The day that we, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, something changes. The Bible says 
Our hearts are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Greatest thing that we can do to prepare is to give our lives to Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? Pastor Joe, exactly how's it going to all happen? Is it going to be the pre-trib, the post-trib, the mid-trib? Praetorist, historist, jotorist? I don't, I don't really know about all of those things. I'm not a theologian. Someone's going to be right, I know that. Someone's going to get it right, you know. What I do know is that Jesus is going to return. That's the part that interests me. <laughs> the rest is, hey, it's cool, no problem. I'm very happy for all those views to exist. Not a problem whatsoever. I know Jesus is coming back. I pray that we would prepare for that. I want every eye closed, every head bowed. Pastor Joe, what do I need to do? What does that actually mean to believe in Jesus Christ? What does, what does that mean? How, how, what's, tell me what do I need to do? Well, all you need to do is just say, you know what? Uh, accept the reality that we're sin in our lives. Believe that Jesus died on the cross. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that when you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you say words to the effect of, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner and thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. When you, when you say those words, when you confess those words, you believe it in your heart, the Bible says you'll be saved. Pastor Joe, is it that easy? Yep, it's that easy. Simple as that. Father, I just thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that is present and that is here. Father, you know our lives and our hearts. I thank you for this word. I just pray that you will continue to speak to us. Challenge us to be everything that you've called us to be. Be glorified in and through our lives. Help us to keep our eyes upon you. Help us to be everything you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.